Welcome everyone to Christian Historical Fiction Talk. I'm your host, author Liz Tolsma. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode. I think you're going to really enjoy our guest this week. Before we go ahead and get started, let me just remind you that you can find the show notes over on my website, which is liztolsma.com. There you will be able to find out a little bit more about this author and about her book, and you will also find some links in order to be able to purchase the book there as well. Follow us on social media, please. We'd love to have you join the conversation on Facebook or on Instagram or Twitter or all three of them. We sometimes talk books. We sometimes talk about authors. Sometimes I will put up polls. Sometimes I'll ask questions, and your answers may just end up on the podcast one of these times. So please join the conversation with us on social media. And don't forget to subscribe to Christian Historical Fiction Talk on your favorite podcasting platform. That way you'll be informed when new episodes release and you won't miss a single moment because you know if it's happening in the world of Christian historical fiction, we are talking about it here. Today's guest is a wife and a mom. She is a middle school English teacher and she is a debut author. She has also lived quite some time overseas before she's settled back in the United States in Arizona. And some of the biggest names in Christian historical fiction have endorsed her brand new book. So please help me in welcoming Jennifer Dival to the show today. Welcome, Jennifer. We're so glad to have you with us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, it's always so much fun to get to know a new author, and since you are new to everybody, why don't you just go ahead and start by telling us a little bit about yourself. All right. Well, I'm Jennifer Dybel. Most people call me Jen. Not many people call me Jenny more than once. Um, No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, I live in Arizona. I've got three amazing kiddos. We've got a 16-year-old, a 13, almost 14-year-old, and a 10-year-old. And my husband and I have been married for 20 years. It'll be 21 in June. And I teach seventh grade English language arts. So I spend my days hanging out with a bunch of gloriously awkward kiddos who are awesome and keep me on my toes. Wow. So you have teenagers during the day and you have teenagers when you come home in the evening as well. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Well, good for you. Not a lot of us can pull that off. (laughs) It's fun. It it keeps me young at heart, I hope. (laughs) I'm sure it does. I was looking at your Facebook page earlier and I noticed you had put on there a really interesting thing that happened at school. So before we get talking about dance in Donegal, can you just share what happened in school the other day? I believe you're referring to the piece of paper. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes. So the past few weeks at school, we've been back in person. Well, it's been kind of off and on. Our first quarter was all online. And then second quarter, we came back in person. And then after winter break, Our first two weeks back were online, and then we came back in the middle of January in person. And since then, it's been an absolute circus. Just the students 
have been off and it's been like all of the teachers, even the teachers who always like have it all together are like scratching their heads going, what on earth is going on? And so for myself, I just, there were a lot of days where I left school feeling really defeated and like, I'm not, you know, wondering if I'm really even making a dent in these kids' lives in any way, academically or otherwise. And then a couple of days ago, one of my roughest class periods at the end, they all came up and handed me the sheet of paper and they had all signed it. And at the top, they had labeled it a petition to call Mrs. Dybel mom. And every single one of them signed it. And I felt like that was kind of God's little whisper to my heart that he's working even when I don't feel it and I don't see it. And he is going to use me if I'm just willing to be there and let him. So that was encouraging to my heart. And since then, probably half of them do actually call me mom on a fairly regular basis. (laughs) (laughs) That is just the sweetest story. I absolutely love that. How wonderful. It was a special moment. And I hung it on my whiteboard with a magnet. I have it right next to where my computer is. So I can look at it in those moments when I'm feeling flustered or starting to doubt myself. I just look at that and I think, okay, all right, Jesus, we got this. Let's go. There you go. So what do your students think about you being a published author? One of the first things they asked me was if I'm rich and if I'm going to quit teaching. (laughs) And I had to assure them that, no, I'm not going anywhere. And that even if it were to become, you know, like Harry Potter multiplied overnight or something that I wouldn't abandon them. But most of them think it's pretty cool. Like, I don't think they really believed me at first when I told them. And so sometimes I would just be like, okay, let's go to this website. And I would just pick like a, a major retailer that they wouldn't expect. And I'm like, search me up, you know, let's go bet. And they'll be like, oh my gosh, Ms. Dival, you're famous. So <laughs> they think it's they think it's pretty fun. I actually had a student bring me the copy that his mom bought and asked me to sign up for her, which was really neat. That was fun. That is very cool. Very cool. And what about your family? What do they think about it, your kids and your husband? Oh my goodness. They have been so incredibly excited for me and supportive. I think my husband was almost more excited when I got my author copies than I was. And I was, <laughs> I was pretty, pretty excited. Uh, we were both like just bawling. And, and then I hadn't told him that I had dedicated this book to him. So then I made him read the dedication and that just kind of got him going again. But Christmas was pretty amazing this year. They went all out and I've got so much swag with my book cover on it. That's just for me that I don't have to use for marketing. And they got me a shirt and a pillow and a mug and like pens. And my parents commissioned a stained glass of the cover. My grandmother handmade this beaded portrait of the cover where she placed each bead by hand so it's almost looks like pixelated, but it's the cover image and they've just been all so excited and so supportive. And I couldn't, I couldn't ask for a better family. I've just felt so blessed and honestly, a little bit unworthy. Like I don't really deserve all the praise and encouragement they've been giving me, but I'm, I'm so thankful for it. And it's been fun to, to have them walk alongside me in this journey. Wow. They're going to be hard pressed to come up with something that will top that for book number two. Yes, I've been thinking that thinking, oh my goodness, they're gonna like everyone's going to use up all their excitement. And then when book two comes around, they're just going to be like, oh my gosh, we have to do this again. 
(laughs) (laughs) No, no, they don't have to. So Dance in Donegal is set in Ireland, which is a really different setting. I think I've only read one other Christian historical fiction set in Ireland. Mm. Why, Why did you pick that setting? I kind of feel like that setting picked me a little bit. My husband and I spent two years living in Donegal. When we were first married, we were there as students. We were studying the language and culture and then went back. So we were there for two years, came back to the States. He finished his master's degree and we had the girls. And then we ended up going back to Ireland for another four years. And I actually first started writing this story when we came back from Donegal. That was 17 years ago when I first started writing the story, and it started kind of as a way to process sort of all that we had been through. Our two years there were absolutely amazing, incredible, life-changing, changed our worldview, changed us. But at the same time, it was really hard because we were kind of out in the middle of nowhere. We had no family. Our closest friends were about a five-hour drive away, so it was really just us. And so when we came back, I just felt like... I needed a way to sort through all the things that we had experienced. And this story idea just kind of popped into my head about this young lady who goes over there to teach and experiences life in rural Ireland, but then also has to deal with these rumors that her mother had left behind that she didn't know about. And it just sort of took on a life of its own from there. Is writing something that you'd always wanted to do? It's always something that I've done. Even as a child, I would spend hours writing in my journal or my diary, writing little stories, plays. Oh my goodness, the plays that I would come up with. And in high school, I remember we had this descriptive writing assignment where we had to describe how to change lanes in a car to someone who had never done it before, who had never driven before. And most of my friends wrote things like, turn on your blinker, move over, check your mirrors, you know, things like that. Whereas I was like, literally step by step, push the lever up to indicate a right turn or down to indicate a left turn, turn the wheels, the steering wheel slightly in the direction you want to move, you know, and they made fun (laughs) of me so much for it. But I was like, they have to know like how this works. And And then in college, the first English class that I had to take, it was a required like prerequisite course, was part literature and part creative writing. And we had to do this one assignment where we had to take and write about something, an action or an activity or a moment, and then in it, it transformed into something else. And so I remember I wrote this story about me as a child when my dad would come home from work. And he would play with me and he would be my horsey and I would sit on his back and his tie would be my reins. And from there it transformed into an actual horse running through a summer field or something to that effect. And I remember my college professor telling me that I really should consider pursuing a career that had something to do with writing. And I remember thinking, oh, thank you so much, but I'd rather, you know, make money. So I (laughs) sort of ignored it. And I was pursuing a degree in physical therapy. 
but then later God led me to change my major to education. So there went the money, but all that to say, (laughs) writing has been a part of my life, but I hadn't really considered pursuing it in any kind of professional capacity until much later in life when I'd had my kids and a different opportunity presented itself for me to write for a parenting website. And that's when I really started thinking about trying to branch out and actually pursue traditional publication and dust off this story and finish it up and see what came of it. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about the book, A Dance in Donegal? So this story follows Maura Doherty, who was born in Boston, but her mother was from Ireland and emigrated as a young adult. And Moira had always dreamed of seeing Ireland and seeing her mother's home village. And her mom hadn't told her a whole lot of detail about her life over there, but she had told her some stories and Morris favorites were about the regular Kaylee dances that her village would hold in the village hall. And she loved the stories about how, you know, Father O'Friel tripped during his Shano's dancing solo and Patty Blue Socks had one too many pints and fell over and, you know, just different things like that. She always dreamed of going to see that. But then her mother falls ill and passes away unexpectedly. And on her deathbed, she pleads with Maura to go to Ireland. And she had just not long before that told Maura that she had put her name in to be the replacement for the school teacher in her village of Ballyman because the original teacher who'd been there forever and a day had passed away. And Maura was kind of torn about whether or not to go. And then once her mother passed, she started having these dreams of almost like a Macedonian call to to come to Ireland and to save her. So she ends up going and falls in love with the village immediately. But also almost immediately, there's these little hints and clues that there's something amiss. And she finds out there's these rumors that had stayed behind about her mother when her mother left. And she knows nothing about them, has no idea what they're talking about. And it gets to the point where the village people don't really even want to send their children to school because of this new woman and and everything they think about her. So then she has to try and get to the bottom of the rumors, find out what they are, try to clear her family's name, as well as, you know, earn her livelihood and and be able to stay and do what she came there to do. And of course, there's a cute Irish guy who helps her through all of this and helps her figure it out. But through it all, she has to really rely on her faith. She has a lot of doubts along the way of if she's done the right thing. And it's kind of her story of her faith journey, as well as sort of kind of finally growing up and realizing who she's meant to be. And I read it. I so enjoyed it. It was such a beautiful, beautiful story. Oh, thank you so much. Were Maura or Sean or any of the other characters based on any real people? A lot of them were sort of amalgamations of people that we had met or encountered in our time over there. The one person who was really kind of directly inspired or fashioned after anybody real was Breach, who runs the guest house. And she is inspired by a woman whose name is Mora, which is similar to Mora, but spelled differently, who runs a B&B in the village that we lived in when we lived in Donegal. And she was the most amazing person. She made the most incredible Irish breakfasts. 
And so I wanted to sort of pay homage to her through fashioning Breach after her a little bit. She's not an exact copy, but definitely inspired by her. And I really loved that character. She was great. Yeah, she's fun. (laughs) She's cheeky. (laughs) Yes, she is. I think that is what makes her fun. You teach middle school English and have a family. Both of those are really full-time jobs Mm -hmm. in and of themselves. And then you wrote this book. How have you managed to find time to juggle all of that? You know, that has been a struggle, if I'm honest. I guess the blessing is that I had actually finished writing A Dance in Donegal before I went back into the classroom. I had taught for a year before my husband and I went overseas the first time. And then we were overseas for almost a decade. So I was away from the classroom for a long time. And when we came back to the States, I was working as a PR assistant for a literary PR firm. And it was awesome. I got to work from home. I got to work with books and talk to authors. And it was really great. But I ended up getting laid off. And I knew that God was leading me to go back to the classroom at that point. And so I had three weeks from the time my PR job ended to when I my next teaching job began. And I just knew at that point, it had been 13, 14 years since I had first started the story. And I knew I still hadn't finished it. So I made a commitment to myself to finish it in those three weeks. And so I've had to do the editing and things like that while teaching. And thankfully, our other jobs before that were pretty flexible, a lot of work from home that we did. But I also have a second book on the way and that I wrote this past year, which feels absolutely crazy. And what I've just realized is I think balance is sort of a myth. I don't think we ever truly have balance in our lives, but we have sort of front burner and back burner things. And so each afternoon when I get home, I have to decide which task or commitment needs to be front burner and get most of my attention and what stuff can go on the back burner for a little while. And so I just shuffle those things depending on what my family needs are, what my professional needs are at school. And So some nights I write, some nights I hang out with my family, other nights I work on school things. And a lot of our breaks, spring break, summer break, are my real dedicated writing times to get a lot of good chunks of writing done. Since this is your first book, and you sort of alluded to it when you got your author copies and your husband was so excited, but what was it like to get the call, you know, the one from your agent saying that? Ravel was going to publish your book. Mm. Oh my goodness. I can still see it. I was actually at school that day. Thankfully, when she wanted to call, it was actually happened to be my prep hour. So I didn't have any students. And I remember just walking circles in the courtyard grass. And she started out, Cynthia Richty, cheeky little monkey. She started out <laughs> saying things like, you know, they met and you know, the publishing world is, is really difficult. And it it's, you know, the majority of people who try it just don't get a contract. And just saying all these things that made me feel like, oh, okay, she's getting, you know, trying to let me down easy. And then she said, which is why it's even more cool that they're offering you a contract. And so I remember like, having to hold in a scream because <laughs> I was surrounded by classrooms and I was just so excited. And as soon as we hung up, I called my husband and that's when I started to cry when I told him. And 
it was one of the most amazing moments, you know, up there. Of course, top moments are deciding to follow Jesus, getting married and the birth of all three of my kids. But just below that is that moment when it was like, oh my goodness, this, you know, over a decade of dreaming, it's actually happening. And so it was, it was pretty amazing. That is a really cool story. One that I'm sure you'll tell many, many times over, but what a <laughs> an unusual place to get that call. Yes, and, absolutely. Yes. You're right. You can't scream or anything because you don't want to disturb <laughs> any of the other classes. <laughs> exactly. What do you like most about this process of writing and publishing? Oh, goodness. There's so many different facets of it that I enjoy. I love that moment when a story idea finally clicks. I have a lot of like nuggets of ideas and I'll try to sit and flesh them out. And some of them just don't really work that well. But I love that moment when you go, ah, oh, ha, ha, ha. Yes, this is it. And it all kind of comes into place and you know exactly where you want to go with it. And then I love when you're in the thick of writing it and like your characters surprise you with what they do or what they say, or suddenly this new character shows up out of nowhere that you had no idea existed, but suddenly he's in your book and all that creative process is really fun for me. And then I have just really enjoyed the community that I found, especially in the Christian fiction community. You never know from the outside what it's going to be like, but I have found that every single Christian fiction author that I've been blessed to interact with has been so supportive, so willing to encourage. So many have chosen to invest in me and pour into me, whether it's advice or willing to look something over or just say a kind word. And I don't feel like there's really competition, even though I guess technically, if you were going to look at like sales numbers or whatever, you could view it that way if you wanted to. But I don't feel like anybody else looks at anyone else as, ooh, you know, I'm not going to help you. And so that has been such a blessing to me because sometimes this writing gig, as you know, can feel really lonely and isolating. And you feel like you're the only one that's ever struggled with this particular issue of writing or plotting or editing or whatever you're doing. And so just to have that community there is, is pretty stellar. I would have to agree with you wholeheartedly on that. I have never found competition in the Christian writing community, even among authors at different publishing houses or Mm -hmm. between publishing houses. It's just a wonderful community to be part of. And we're so glad that you're part of the community now. Thank you. I am too. (laughs) (laughs) So what is up next for you? So next up is my second book is slated to come out, Lord willing, with Ravel next February. I actually just got my first round of edits back last week. So I'm jumping in on that. This story, I didn't think I could love a story as much as I did A Dance in Donegal, but I think if it's possible, I might actually love this new story a little bit more. I don't know if that's just because it's the one I'm working on or what, but this one is also set in Ireland in 1920. This time we're down in Galway, which is about halfway down the West Coast. And this story surrounds the legend of the Clatter Ring, which for those who might not be familiar, I see them everywhere, but it's the heart with the hands holding the sides and the crown on top. And that ring actually originated in Galway City. And so it, it surrounds that legend and it explores the ideas of prejudice and 
love and what that means and what it doesn't mean and personal identity and calling. And of course, there's a love story in there as well. And the hero in that book is absolutely dreamy, if I say so myself. He's one of my favorite characters, I think, that I've written so far. So I'm very excited. I'm excited to jump into edits. Of course, a little bit scared too. Like, can I actually do this? It's kind of like when you have your second kid and you're like, oh my gosh, I know what I'm getting into. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but in a good way, at the same, I'm very excited. And we'll be looking forward to that. And what is the title of that one? That title is actually still in the works. So nothing official just yet. Okay. So we will keep our eyes out for that, for the cover and for the title reveal coming up. Yes. Hopefully, probably early summer, I'm hoping. Okay. Sounds good. We will be on the lookout for that. Do you have any last words that you'd like to share with the listeners? I just want to thank you for allowing me into your home or your car, wherever you are for these last few minutes. I know there's a lot of things competing for your time and attention. So I appreciate getting to be part of your life today. And I just hope, I hope you'll read the book. And if you do, my prayer is that it will encourage you in your faith journey, wherever you are, whether you've been a follower of Jesus for many years, or you're still not sure what you think about this Jesus guy. I just pray that you're encouraged and challenged and that you see the world around you a little bit differently when you're done. Well, thank you so much. It's been our pleasure to have you on here and to get to know you a little bit. And we will be looking for your new book coming out next February. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time. That's about all the time we have for this episode of Christian Historical Fiction Talk. I know it was great to get to know Jennifer Dibel, and I know you're going to love A Dance in Donegal. I had never really had Ireland on my bucket list of places that I wanted to go, but after talking to a cousin of mine who had visited there and also reading Jennifer's book, it now is somewhere I'd love to visit one of these days. She brings Ireland alive, and you're going to absolutely love the story. Don't forget that you can find the show notes with more information about Jennifer, about her book, and links where you can buy the book on my website, which is liztolsma.com. Please be sure to join us for the next episode where we talk some more about some great Christian historical fiction. And be sure to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you so much once again for joining me, and we will see you next time.